Hello, this is Dr. Shiva. Welcome to our podcast, Get Educated or Be Enslaved. Episode 1166, air date January 28th, 2022. So what I wanted to discuss is I always like to give a little bit of any developments, any new observations that we've made. So a couple of things that's going on, you'll notice that those of you who haven't seen us in a while, we're back on Twitter. We got back on December 22nd, something like that, after I hammered Elon Musk. So I think they thought they let me on to pacify us. Our followers grew literally within two weeks, around 50,000 followers. Everyone knows we're continuing with our larger thing against the government that's going to be taking place around May. We have to wait six months before we can file. The other pieces we also announced, many of you know that we have always said, and I want to be consistent with this and everyone clear on this, that whenever you are posed with wanting to change the world, the establishment typically only offers you two modes of change. One is the electoral process. The other is the legalism process. The electoral process without a movement typically leads to opportunism. Opportunism means you say whatever you need to say to get elected because the goal is just to get elected. The legal process typically leads you into all sorts of mazes and you just can spend a lifetime filing lawsuits all day, also without if you don't have a movement. But we've always repeated that the goal is to build a movement and the movement is about you decentralized building local communities. To the extent that we participate in filing lawsuits or we participate in doing legal approaches, it is always with the core goal of advancing a movement. If you did them in isolation, they actually, meaning file lawsuits and do electoral, it it really doesn't mean anything. You end up in the swamp. The movement always keeps you honest because you're building a movement. It just so happens that every two years in other countries, and I'm sure in the United States, typically two to four years, they have a cycle of things called running for office. And during that period, everyday people are distracted to go, oh my God, okay, let me get off my butt for nine hours. I'm going to go vote. And that's it. And that's their level of activism. You follow? And what we want to do is use that opportunity to, like we did before, to get our word out and to build this movement. And there's a big and here, and all bold underscore, all caps and bold underscore, is that and if you ever wanted to do something as powerful as winning an election, and you are true to the words that we live by, the only way you can ever win an election in their swamp is by building a movement, if you even have a shot at it. Everything else will always lead to some type of opportunistic slobber. So we formally announced we're going to run for Senate, because a lot of people said, Dr. Shiva, why don't you run for Senate? If you notice, our position here, the, the aesthetics of the website is all black and white, because when we launched the site, we said, look, It's clear when you look at the two-party system, the fraudulent system, and it's black and white that you have to build an independent movement. So everything on the site is black and white. That's the aesthetics of the site. And you can go through. We have a video that we had from... Things haven't changed that much, and we're going to update it. These are our issues. We have a little shop up there, and we'll just show you the aesthetic. Sometimes we're not into really promoting go-to-campaign gear. Some people really like to get this stuff, but we have these cool t-shirts and bumper stickers. We had bumper stickers in 2020, which people were buying all over the world. My attorney one time called me up. He said he was taking his vacation in Maui and he saw people with these bumper stickers on. So anyway, this site is launched, but it is not decoupled from our movement. We aesthetically, what we did is you'll see 
the T-shirt, and on the right side, it's got Truth, Freedom, and Health. Okay, so this is powered by the operating system of Truth, Freedom, Health. The thing that I wanted to discuss today, what is Truth, Freedom, Health? Truth, Freedom, Health is many things. It's a community, it's a movement, and it's a system. But it's also a core set of educational knowledge which powers it. And what is that educational knowledge? That educational knowledge is the science of systems. Now, whenever I teach the course, and as you will go through the course, there's three parts to gaining an understanding of this. Is first, you learn it. Then we want you to teach it. And then we want you to serve, learn, teach, and serve. Serve means you get on the ground, you help other people, et cetera. We actually do ground activities. When the breakout occurs, people actually go and discuss what they've been doing and welcoming other people. People write articles. They go hand out flyers. We get people on the ground and we have a whole bunch of tools to do that. So let's talk about what is system science and what is probably the most important thing of our time. The foundations of system science began in the 20s, but the real major advances in it uh, which still aren't out to the broad public, really began 1960. You know, that's when it, the core stuff of it. So what am I talking about? If you look at the world today, there's lots and lots of information out there, tons of information, like more than we had, or there's been information, but your access to information has explosively grown, right? On your iPhone, on your iPads or your Androids or on, you can pretty much get access to anything. But in the midst of all that information, or all the knowledge or the information you can get, do you actually have more wisdom? Do you actually have more truth and freedom and health? And the answer more than likely is no, because most of that information is put through the lens of a reductionist approach. That reductionism means you take all this information and you focus on one part. So if you're on the left wing, you will take the entire climate system, a very complex system, and you'll reduce it to one variable which is CO2. If you're on the right-wing system, you'll reduce everything to maybe just one issue about your right to guns. That's it. And so on. So typically, a complex system gets reduced to one fundamental aspect of it, and everything else is forgotten. The interconnection is forgotten. And through that model of reductionism, which we call ignorance, only seeing the part, you can really manipulate people at a very deep level. And that manipulation typically leads people to some type of slavery. Either they get desperate, you know, want to just hurt themselves or hurt other people. They either just say, well, I'm going to be like Voltaire said, I'm just going to manage my own little garden. I'm just going to have my little, um, and all these things are, you know, fine things to do, right? I'm going to sit under a tree and meditate, but that's all I'm going to do. I'm just going to check out, or I'm going to be on the left, or I'm going to be on the right. And I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to compromise, you know, yeah, the left wing, yeah, we have, I'm going to choose the lesser of two evils. The alternate is you start learning how to see the whole beyond reductionism. And that is called systems thinking or system science. And there is a physics to doing that. Those in power learn this. But what they are learning because of their reductionism, this is an interesting thing, their systems knowledge is actually limited. So they learn system knowledge to learn how to control you and to surveil you, controllability and observability. But what we have done, the work that I did over the last 50 years is taking that system science and expanding it much more deeper and broader to understand that this knowledge of system science, which 
not only came from Western engineering thought, but also goes back, you know, five, 10,000 years to Eastern medicine and also intersects with political theory. So we have a much more richer knowledge of system science. So I'll give you sort of what I wanted to share with you today. And I'm going to try to cover this in 15 minutes, but I think you'll get it. We have many of you have gone through the course. We have a lot of sharp people here, but here's what's a profound understanding that's really, really important for our time. And it goes like this. Okay, I'm going to start with an analogy. If I took a big box and imagine it was a big glass box that everyone can see in from all sides and it was pumped with air, okay? And then I put in 100,000 white ping pong balls in there and I put in 100,000 black ping pong balls and they were just swirling. Can you guys imagine this in this box? What color would your eyes see? They would probably see a gray, right? Because just the way the balls were swirling, or you may see a blurry of polka dotted colors, right? Now that is called a random system in equilibrium. So what am I talking about? Well, the laws of thermodynamics, which came after the discovery of the laws of Newton, said something profound. They said everything in the universe always goes to a state of equilibrium and to the highest randomness, entropy, okay? I'll repeat that again. And this is a fundamental law of thermodynamics. Everything in the universe will go to a state of randomness, equilibrium, that means everything just spreads out and it becomes an equilibrium. And in that state, entropy is at the highest because everything wants to increase entropy. What is entropy? Entropy is randomness, all right? So if you looked in that, the swirling ball, when everything goes to its equilibrium condition, you just see gray, right? Everything's well mixed. No different than the example of, I think I may have given you, take a beaker and you drop a little bit of very dark blue or black ink, the whole thing will become sort of a light blue, right? Everything spreads. Now, this law basically said that time moves in a forward direction. Up until that law, the notion of time which had always bothered philosophers and scientists was in the Einstein world of time or in the Newton world of time, at any point in time, you could predict what was occurring in the future and you could also predict what was going on in the past. This is called classical mechanics. So in 1686, when Isaac Newton presented his famous Principia, he basically, to the Royal Society, he had figured out the laws, what he thought of the universe, the laws of motion. So he could predict exactly where the Earth's position would be around the sun or the sun's position would be, et cetera, okay? And this was called classical mechanics. And it basically said, starting from that point on, so the 17th century, 18th, 19th, that the world is literally a clock, right? Every motion can be predicted to the exact location. So we looked at planets, and then we started getting down into microscopic particles, quantum mechanics, but ultimately it was all about predicting the location of an object. It could be very small or very large. And with these laws of physics, we said, oh, I know where that object is going to be, but if it's going to be here and if I'm here, I can, I can also say where it was in time. Okay. This was called determinism, a deterministic world where everything could be predicted. And that was classical mechanics. And that gave, so if you think about this, science, by the way, is over here. 
and society is here. And we tend to think that science and society just came up on their own, but they didn't. The scientist is a product of their times. So where was Newton growing up at the time? He was growing up at a time of what? The British Empire. There were kings and lords and feudalism, right? Structured society. It wasn't the information age. And he was part of that. He held the chair at Cambridge University, which was like the highest peak of becoming an academic. And so this concept of a very structured model, think about it, it fit in to the world the way the world was, right? It was highly structured. You following me? The world was not like random. It was like you had a king and the king got his supposedly his powers from God. And then there were the dukes and the duchess. You know, everything was very well organized in the peasants. Like in India, you had the caste system, et cetera. So in this milieu, the science that Newton discovers says, yes, the world is also very structured. There's a center, things rotate around it, right? And we can predict those structures, et cetera. Everyone following me? All right. That view of the universe, which is what we have, is what allows us to send a rocket one place. We can predict that rocket exactly. That's this what allows airplanes, right? We know from when the airplane leaves in San Diego, when it's going to land exactly in Boston, plus or minus a few seconds or minutes, right? We've gotten very good at understanding physics the movement of objects and determining them. Okay. Now, fast forward to a little bit later, hundreds of years later, the laws of thermodynamics come. And they say that everything in the universe actually goes to this randomness. Now, this became a conundrum because when people actually look around, I mean, just look around, look at you. You're not random, you're organized. You organize your room, you build, you write books, right? We create societies. You go look at an ant hill, you see ants moving around. They're organizing structures. They're not just random ants living on their own, right? They're organized structures. The laws of thermodynamics predict that everything should go to randomness. So this was a huge conundrum. And what would happen is scientists would sort of just brush it off. People say, well, wait a minute. If there's randomness, why are there beautiful planets circling around each other? Why is in the universe, why does it have all these galaxies? Why do we have so much structure? Why isn't everything just space with dust particles in it? Because that's what the second law of thermodynamics says. Just like putting those billiard balls in them running around random until you get this sort of smoothed out color, right? Or you open a perfume at the corner of an office and everything moves around, right? So this was a serious problem. And the scientists who liked order, who liked predictions, they just said, oh, well, that's we don't want to deal with that. And that still goes on today. However, in 1957 and 60, what we started recognizing was that the exception is order, orderliness in the universe. The exception is these predictable deterministic systems. The truth is most of the universe is disorder. And out of disorder comes organized systems. Let me repeat that. It's not like everything is beautifully ordered and everything follows that second law of thermodynamics to equilibrium. The universe is actually in massive chaos. And somehow, this is what's pretty wild, out of this chaos, some fluctuation takes place and boom, you get order. So if you want to follow the work of when people say, well, how did life come to being out of nothing? 
Well, there's a whole set of very interesting principles which shows when you have enough amino acids, when you have enough chemicals and then it gets hit with a charge, amino acids form and you need amino acids to start life, okay? So now this caused a big rift between the metaphysical people, you know, the religious people and the people who believe in science. So we had these opposing forces. So one people said, wait a minute, the universe is very ordered. I can predict it. And, you know, I'm an atheist because, you know, this whole thing is run in a very mechanistic way. And people took this very deterministic approach to the universe. In opposition to that came the people said, no, 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 no. That would mean that life means nothing, right? Because where does that lead life? If everything is perfectly organized, at the time the Big Bang created every particle you could measure its motion, that means you are part of that motion and destiny is what's running it, fate, right? Everyone in that model leads you to this position. Well, everything is uh, uh, determined by fate and I'm just a little particle in this massive soup of atoms. So my life too is determined. In opposition to that, people said, we don't like that. So they started saying, no, no, there's a God and this stuff is nonsense and you connect to God and God loves you, God moves you, da, da, da. You know, and there's all these religions versions of this, okay? So you had science over here and this religion, which came in opposition to this deterministic view of the world. Everyone following this? Yes? Okay. However, what was discovered in 1957 from the what was developing in the knowledge of system sciences out of this chaos and what you call equilibrium, sometimes non-equilibrium conditions occur and you actually get order out of what looks like disorder. So in a very interesting experiment, which ended up winning the Nobel Prize in chemistry, actually, what someone noticed was, give it, go back to that box that you can watch with all these ping pong balls swirling, black and white. Suddenly, this guy noticed in certain conditions, occurs with chemicals, suddenly you all of the, the entire box would become black on the outside. And suddenly, sometimes it would become white. And it would occur in a very orderly manner. Every one second, the surface would become black. And then, boom, everything would become white. It was shifting. It was called a chemical clock. And what this showed is it was the first physical example that we could prove in a lab that out of chaos comes order. Does that make sense? This is not supposed to happen. In fact, it turns out you see this all over nature. So on the one hand, you find out that they are very classical systems like where you can predict, you know, the earth going around and you can predict it perfectly. But the reality was most of the universe is actually randomness and disorder and probability, chance and luck, and things emerge out of this randomness. And that we call a fluctuation or what we would call invention or a revolution or an artistic glimmer, you know, where you're sitting and you get this aha moment. No different than that. So what had happened for centuries was over here, you had people who were becoming more and more mechanistic and they could predict the motion of particles. But over here, you had the social sciences, right? Like the arts, like biology, and these other things where you see constantly, I mean, an artist puts a painting together. How does he do that, right? Or a, a, a musician puts orders, sounds, and puts music together, or life itself. 
And there's always this big dichotomy between this world of physics and this world of the natural world, which you call philosophy or biology, whatever you want to call it, sociology, etc. So this concept of system science helps us bridge these worlds. So we don't have to be in this world of, oh, I'm a religious fanatic and I hate science, or I'm a scientist and I hate religion. Both can actually coexist. That's what's phenomenal. Because when you look at the universe, there are parts of the universe which are closed systems. And that's where the entropy phenomenon does work. That's what was discovered. When you have highly ordered, controlled, closed systems, there's no interaction in a, a bottle with anything else. But whenever you have interactions with system one and system two, people interacting, anything is possible. Okay? Anything. And one individual's idea can have a huge effect on transitioning a system from one mode of operation, either chaos or a certain form of equilibrium, to another form. In fact, this starts, if you look at the works of Karl Marx objectively, Karl Marx, 90%, 99% of his work, or even the work of Adam Smith, was all based on retrospectively looking at the world and making observations. Only one or two percent of Adam Smith or Karl Marx's work was, pro, you know, future. But one of the things Marx observed, very profound ways, he noticed that there were times when we had hunter-gatherer societies, and then were times we had feudal societies, and there were times we have capitalist societies, and and that's what he was observing in the 1800s. And he was looking at the 1800s, and he was looking back, and I don't think he even understood what he was actually doing because he didn't have access to system science. This is me giving some framework to what he actually did. Had he had knowledge to system science, he would probably have made better predictions, okay? But he did make some very good observations. So there was a time when we as humans lived as hunter-gatherers. And in that world, all of us were, if you were typically, you were you hunted and you gathered, but most importantly, you moved, you were nomadic, right? And in that world, that was the system of operation. And in that world, our consciousness was affected by how we produced and got food in that system. And in that system of existence, there was no ownership of property because you were constantly moving around, right? You, were, you didn't own anything because you were constantly moving. So the way people thought consciousness was literally affected by what you did. So there was a theory that basically said, oh, Consciousness just exists in your brain independent of what you do. And what was profound in the observation here was that what you do affects your consciousness. So when you as a collective society are running around, you're nomadic, you don't have the ownership of property. In fact, the social relation between men and women were very different. It was a polygamous society. Women had many husbands in many of these societies, or they didn't even call them husbands, mates. There was no ownership of property. There was a division of labor. And then when what I now you can understand when a, when a fluctuation took place, and what was that fluctuation? It was an idea, it was an invention. It's really powerful. It's pretty cool. Someone, we don't know when, decided, oh, why don't I take a plow and attach it to this thing called a cow and farm my land? Why am I running around, you know, fighting saber-toothed tigers and potentially getting killed? Let me stay in this land, farm it domesticate some chickens, domesticate some cows, goats, milk, right? 
This may have occurred at different points all over the world. And some people call this the communication of particles. If you ever hear that 100 monkey thing where one monkey starts learning how to do something and something else learns, they don't understand how this works, but no different than those ping pong balls. Something happens where the ping pong balls communicate and you get these beautiful patterns. So this is this occurs in nature, interesting enough. Someone in one part of the world learns something and mysteriously enough, someone halfway around the world learns the same thing. So at some point, society, this fluctuation takes place and people start farming, domesticating animals, and you don't run around anymore. You say, okay, I'm going to own this piece of land. Okay. By the way, we talk about this in our course, in the, the course module we have, but the, the insight I'm offering is really the merger of system science, understanding this notion of fluctuations. It's been bugging me for many, many years, probably about 40 years of my life. How did these societies suddenly transform? And what you see is they were operating in one state and there was a fluctuation. That fluctuation was an innovation. This is what the power of innovation is. That innovation completely transformed these hunter-gatherer societies to these much more structured societies. I owned a piece of land. I said, it's my land, or Bob said, it's my land. And then he said, okay, I need a wife because I'm going to have my kids, not, you know, kids, my kids. And because I'm the big guy, all of you guys will work for me on my land. I will protect the land and you guys give me something, 30, 40, 60% of what you make. And that transformed the, the world into what we called the, the, the world of kings and queens. Quite amazing, feudal society. But it came from someone figuring out how to domesticate an animal, some ingenious idea on how to create the plow. And those societies ran on for another four, 300, 500 years, whatever you want to look at it. And then suddenly, another innovation took place. People figured out the steam engine. They figured out how to do manufacturing lines and organize labor. And people started moving around. They weren't confined to their agricultural little being a serf. And that fluctuation, which was, again, innovation, completely transformed society to the modern capitalist society, where Bob now stopped being a king. And one of his serfs, let's say it was Glenn, left to surf and he hooked up with Remy and Nick and they created a business, a factory. And they hired us as workers. And I did, I made the bottle, someone put the bottle caps on and we created these manufacturing lines, okay? This very mechanistic model of development, you were given a wage, you could get promotions, right? All this stuff develops. So when you look at the work of Marx, he was actually, and same with Adam Smith, they were looking at it at that point. And they were looking at this world that was coming at the time of capitalism. They weren't looking at the time of feudalism, but they did go back and look at these worlds. So they were then trying to make predictions what the world would become. Well, they didn't have the knowledge of system science, you see? So they were doing it sort of on a, uh, you know, sort of hanging on some a few threads, okay? And many of the political movements that came up also came up without understanding system science. So when the founding fathers created America, the notion was still from the old world of, they were just transitioned from the old words of kings and queens, but they needed to give the peasants some something so they would fight for them against the kings okay so he said okay we're going to give you the bill of rights fight with us we'll give you the first amendment the second amendment because we got to overthrow britain and no one was 
people are like, why should I fight for you? you? You guys are like the merchants. But they said, look, when you fight with us, we're going to give you these Bill of Rights. And that resulted in something profound. A transformation took place. The people who created the Constitution, these were innovators in a sense. And, and that society today where we're at is what you would call each one of these societies goes through their own transformation. And where we are right now is the an advanced capitalist society. Some people would call it imperialist. What is the basis of capitalism? Maximize profit. That's it. Now, the, the wonderful aspects of capitalism where everyone should be creative, right? Everyone does their own businesses. We all contribute. However, the flip side of capitalism is you have to maximize profit. So we have 62 people on the call. So if we're all supposed to be maximizing profit, and let's say we're all in the business of making iPhones, all of us, and there's a market of 8 billion people, six, there can't be 62 iPhone manufacturers when you're trying to maximize profit. So what happens in this model is instead of 62 people, maybe you'll end up with 30 people over time because the other people weren't able to produce an iPhone that was cheap enough for people to buy. The other 32 people were. And then those people will compete among each other. And what are they competing for? They're trying to achieve profit. What is profit? Revenue, sales, minus the expenses. So how do you achieve profit? Either you lower revenue, I mean, you increase revenue, or you reduce expenses. All right? How do you reduce expenses? Well, one of the biggest costs and expenses is labor. You can do automation. You can pay pay people less. So some of the 30 people remaining, some of you may go to Vietnam to make your iPhones. Other people, if you stay here, you're not going to succeed. So the notion of this profit motive forces people to go to wherever there's cheaper labor and forces monopolization. So 30 people may end up with 10 people. Eventually, you end up with three people, right? Today, we have how many iPhone manufacturers? I think you have Motorola, you have Intel, maybe two or three chip companies. Everything's consolidated. And this has occurred in every field right now. And in order for people to grow revenue, you have to expand your markets. So then you create what's called globalization, aka imperialism. And that's where we're at today. But all of these events, these orderings, these structures from the hunter-gatherer society to the feudal society to the society of capitalism, now imperialism. And imperialism now is in a state where it's becoming highly, highly controlled and ordered. Going back to what Isaac Newton did, a beautiful structure where he can predict everything. And that is where we're at right now. Those in power actually want a very predictable equilibrium situation. So those equilibrium or monistic structures do exist in nature. But they only exist when there is a closed, controlled system. When there's randomness and systems are interacting with each other, you actually get much more profound change, diversity, culture, art, vibrancy, okay? Which is what nature is. If it was a highly closed system, we wouldn't, we, we shouldn't exist. So it's in the soup of all this chaos that life actually came to be. So real life comes from chaos and this diversity. So what's happened is right now we're at a very critical point in existence because those in power have fully 
mastered the Newtonian mechanics aspect of the world. So today, massive amounts of data are being collected on you and me. And we know how to predict. I mean, there's enough algorithms. I can predict with the algorithms. I have enough data. I can tell you when Crystal goes to the store, what she's going to buy. I can predict if Nick bought this, what he'll buy next. And this is how advertisers know that when you buy this, you'll get an email campaign to buy this. They can predict the motion of particles, which is us now. And they want this entire world to become very, very deterministic. Where you don't have truth, freedom, and health, you have power, profit, and control. So how do we get out of this? So the only way to get out of this is learning what I just said. Learning this, these concepts will lead you, you, your own consciousness raising, no different than those people starting to learn how to plow. Oh, wait a minute. Let me make a plow. And uh, let, me, let me domesticate animals. You see the innovation. We're in a world now. The innovation has to come from within you. And that is why truth, freedom, and health is such a profound movement because we have figured this out. Not only have we figured it out, but we have, it's not in some ivory tower. By the way, what I just shared, this concept, 10,000 people know system science, but what I just shared with you, maybe 15 to 50 people in the world know this. And one of them was a guy called Prigioni, okay? He won the Nobel Prize. And his work has been very hidden because his work is radical and he won the Nobel Prize for this. And what it fundamentally shows is that it merges both these worlds. We don't have to be left or right. We don't have to be pro or anti. We don't have to be, oh, the world is without a God or it is with a God, right? You can actually have both. They can inter interact together. And this is hard for people to comprehend. But that is the way the world is in its natural state. So what we, so I've gone to the depths of what we want to do at Truth for the Health. We begin by letting you understand that when you really take the knowledge of system science, and in our case, we have taken three disciplines, political systems, when I existed in the, when I was part of the Indian caste system, when you look at engineering systems, the whole MIT work, and then when you look at ancient systems of medicine, these are three very disparate systems. But in system and revolution, what I uncovered was that all of those big systems all share the same nine principles. In fact, the whole universe is composed of these nine principles. But more importantly, instead of leaving it in these hallowed halls of ivory tower academics, like Prometheus bringing the fire, we brought the fire to you. You can learn this. So we begin there. Now, why is this important to, why, why is this important to big tech censorship? Why is this important to election systems? Why is this important to anything? It is important because if you're going to say, well, I'm going to go build a movement. We heard a, um, we had a number of people saying, oh yeah, we got a lot of People said, yeah, I voted for this person. There was a woman on the call this morning. You know, now we realize, Dr. Shiva, yeah, we got to build a bottoms up movement like you've been saying. Great. What are you going to do now? Well, we have all these groups we're part of. Oh, yeah. What are they going to do? What are they going to do? You figured out you need a bottoms up movement, but what does that mean? And how, what are the mechanics of building that bottoms up movement? So you're going to see in the next year, we're always three, five, 10 years ahead. Yes, we need to be independent. Tulsi Gabbard in the United States will run as an independent, probably with Trump. Watch the circus they're going to do because they're collecting data on our movement, I'm telling you. The reason that I think they keep me on Facebook and Twitter is 
They're watching us. They're collecting dynamics. So they're saying, shit, there's some phenomenon going on here. So they're going to try to inject words like, yeah, bottoms up. Yeah, grassroots. Yeah, da, 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 da. But all those words will mean shit. will do nothing except be words. And all these groups sort of starting to organize are not going to go anywhere because the elites are watching this behavior. And they also know how to input their things because remember, they love closed systems. The only way out is you have to understand the science. And I feel this more strongly today than I've ever felt. The old model of a scientist was a guy who got his PhD and then got tenure and he went to Harvard or MIT and he got a big fellowship and he hung out with other scientists and they hung out together in these little cliques and they wrote profound papers, et cetera. I would argue now, and I had to look at my own personal life, like I had a great, I learned the stuff, but I had a great disdain for just hanging around with those people. It, it seemed like a caste system. You follow? I, I really rebelled against that. It didn't feel right in my bones. So I'm of the total opinion now, a real scientist must be a freedom fighter, must take care of their health. A real person who wants to fight for freedom must study system science and also better take care of their health. And someone who really wants to be healthy, they better fight for freedom and they better really learn system science. So the great scientists are going to be you guys. Think about what I'm saying. Because the science of the old emerged from people hanging around in their little cubes. Yeah, they figured some shit out. But they they cannot figure out the whole because they're not living in the dirt, in the trenches. They're limited in what they can observe and see. They're not true scientists. They're living outside and observing in. They're not among the people to sort of say. You see what I'm saying? They're not in the trenches. So when we say truth, freedom, and health, we're saying in order to pursue truth science, in order to pursue freedom, if you want to be a freedom fighter, a revolutionary, or whatever you want to call it, a radical rebel, in order to be in great shape and health and vibrant and et cetera, you got to be able to meld all these. Everything affects the other. And this profound understanding, which is we're the only people who've sort of figured this out, organized it, put it into a course, training people at a fundamental level. You don't have to go to MIT and spend 50 years of your life winning all these awards and winning this and then being access to them. We're making this accessible to everyone. But it is this profound understanding of system science. And that is where we're at. So when you learn this knowledge at a very deep level, you really become a scientist. I'm telling you. I, I can't overemphasize. I don't have enough words to impress on you. You become a real freedom fighter you become truly on the path to true health because you see that out of this complete chaos, order can come through a fluctuation and you are that fluctuation. <laughs> that makes sense. You are that change in, con your change in consciousness from here to here actually sends a wave out to the entire universe. That's how profound this is. And that's why we're on a mission here. But our mission is not to just be sitting around with our smoky pipes and scratching our goatees and sitting back and having conversations. That's what they do. We're in the trenches. We talk about this, then we get on the ground, we hand out flyers. We mobilize people. 
Chris Bradley, who works full-time, spends some of his time helping us get our development work. Suresh, who works full-time, spends some of his time helping our movement come together. Bob comes into the office and he says, hey, let me help you clean up and organize. Heather goes and organizes social media people. You see, we're starting to work together because the increase in consciousness tells you, oh, I got to work together now. And that transformation is powerful. And more importantly, we're doing it independent of their bullshit deterministic structures of left and right pro and anti. You see, as long as you're in that world, you're fucked. You're screwed because they know exactly, okay, today Tucker Carlson is going to wait two years and then he's going to talk about the big tech censors of infrastructure and then he's going to drop this news. Now we're going to talk about Fauci and we're going to manipulate all these morons around all day long. But when Dr. Shiva and the movement talked about big tech censorship two years ago, holy shit, that was innovation. We figured shit out. Oh my God, we better suppress that. When we figured out that the portal was in place, oh my God, we can suppress that. We got to suppress that. They do not want those fluctuations, those independent bubblings coming up. They have to suppress that. It's pretty amazing because they need their order and their control. They need left and right. They need pro and anti. And when you get this, you realize why they have the not so obvious establishment, why they create a Robert F. Kennedy to manipulate people, why they create a Tucker Carlson, why they create AOCs, why they have Elon Musk. They need Elon Musk to control people. It all becomes very clear. And the only way out of this control is you. You have to raise your consciousness. To understand this, we have to build community and we have to constantly be calling this stuff out way ahead of time, way ahead. And that's what we do. And that is why our movement, our movement Everything we put together is as profound as a discovery of fire. But it's not like you have a physical thing. It's the educational knowledge that's going to help you raise your consciousness. And this is something you have to really take the course once, take it, commune with people, come to these orientations, because it's deep stuff, but it transforms you. And that transformation is what is necessary. And one person getting this, I'm telling you, I used to think it was one to a million. I'd say it's one to 10 billion now. Think about what one Isaac Newton did. Think about what one Einstein did. Now think about if we had 10,000 Einsteins and Newtons of our times. And that's what I want to catalyze. And that's what we're doing. That each one of you becomes great scientists, great healers, great freedom fighters. They're all interconnected. And you can. because And you can occur much faster then saying, okay, I'm going to spend 30 years of my life working with a guru and he's going to teach me this, this, and this. I'm going to learn this and I'm going to learn this. You're going to learn shit. By the way, yoga and med uh, meditation can be taught in 10 seconds. Most of the great meditation gurus would make you work for 10 years and they would teach you that. So you have now people saying, oh, I'm going to go get my meditation degree. I'm going to go off to a, it's like fucked up. That's not how the old schools were. In fact, even going and studying science for 30, 40 years doesn't make sense. Most of the work I learned was on my own. I got those degrees because I wanted to use them against the establishment, frankly. But you learn when you do, when you're on the ground with everyday people. Email was not created by the military industrial complex. It was created by me because I was there as a kid solving a problem with everyday working people, secretaries. So we have a huge luxury right now because we have this community of people and 
we have to work together. And I don't give a damn what other movements out there. They're nowhere near this understanding. And if people want to talk about those movements, they're not going to do shit. I'll tell you right now, what they are going to do is drain you of your time and take away this profound opportunity for you to advance yourself and be in a community of other people who can bring over massive numbers of people. And in the last three years alone, we've affected probably close to 300 million people's lives who've seen our content. We've put all these not so obvious establishment people on the run and we will continue exposing them. And if people have a problem with exposing them, then they need to reflect on themselves because these people are dangerous people. They're part of creating that controlled opposition. It's a good word. Control, and they want keep, to keep people in this very deterministic world. So that's what I wanted to share with you. It's a, it's a lot of, so in summary, you know, when you really look at, from a system standpoint, you realize, yes, there is these exceptions where you have very controlled deterministic systems like the earth ro rotating around the sun, you can predict it. And that's what the elites want. They want that science to dominate. They don't want the fullness of science to dominate, which is a world where order comes out of chaos. There's non-equilibrium systems. And an individual raising their consciousness, man, it is profound. One individual getting these concepts can literally change the world. 62 individuals coming with it, it's game, set, match. But you have to, once you get these concepts clear, you will realize why in our course, one of the things we talk about is a disturbance of the not so obvious establishment. And whenever I hear people saying, well, you know, um, they said some good things, big F. You get an F because you didn't get it. The establishment has a whole array now of an inventory of not so obvious establishment people coming. So we are kept in that box. Elon Musk. I mean, when my back, back on Twitter, the first thing was I hit Elon Musk. All these conservatives are like, why are you attacking Elon Musk? Well, da, 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 da. We lost 20% of them. That's fine. Leave. Tulsi Gabbard, a friend of mine just invited me to meet with her, to sit with her and talk to her. He's bringing him over with Ted Cruz. I said, Carlos, why are you fucking wasting my time and your time? You've given away so much money to these people. Do you know she is being groomed to be the next, quote unquote, Trump? Because Trump, they've used, his half-life is gone. And they have all these people in alignment to keep people in this structure. And after they use her, they'll have the next one and the next one and the next one. But none of them are about building an independent movement. Tulsi's part came out of the CFR. She's using the word independent because she's now the tip of the spear of their movement to say, holy shit, we, we got to go independent because people are breaking with the left and the right. And that is where this is all headed. But the difference is our movement exists and we're calling out these people, which has not existed before historically. And that is the powerful event that is occurring at this point in history that has not occurred at other points in history before. Typically, over the last 400 years, they've kept the dialectic going, right? Left and right, left and right, keeping their ship beautifully stable. They need the lesser of two evils argument to keep this ship stable. But when you have true innovation coming up, an individual saying, I'm going to build an independent movement. I guarantee none of these people will cover us. Tucker Carlson, Tulsi Gabbard, AOC, all these guys.
because they're part of that infrastructure and you have to get this. And once you get it from the system science approach, you'll say, holy shit, the epiphany will come. And the epiphany will come why you are so important to this. You're raising your consciousness. It's critical. Now we have the science here. We've done the work. We've made it accessible. And it's it's a profound gift. So please take advantage of it. We've put this infrastructure together. But I just want to end there. But every time I do this, and for me, if I weren't to do this course, guys, and if I were to just live in my ivory tower, okay, I built the course, I'm Dr. Shiva, da-da-da, it'd be bullshit. I wouldn't even be able to articulate these things. I wouldn't be able to learn because I have to sit back every time I do these sessions to go back and reflect, did I communicate that right? What is the real essential issue? And I go deeper. And when you learn the course and you get on the ground, you go deeper and you see why it's really about you understanding and you collectively connecting with people. We're really truly that tip of that spear of knowledge that's going to change this one. We have. They're all running and they watch everything we do, guys. Everything. And we're doing it with not $44 billion Elon Musk had or the Kennedy name or the Republican infrastructure or the Democrat infrastructure. We're doing it because I started understanding these concepts. And you're understanding these concepts. And it's unstoppable because it's pure distilled truth. You have a lightsaber in your hands when you learn this stuff. And you have to pay, you have to honor yourselves, guys. You really, really have to honor yourselves. You have to start having respect for yourselves and realize that you raising your consciousness is the most profound thing you can do for your families, for the future, for yourself. Not fucking sucking up to these dickheads. And I use that profound language because it is the most abrasive language that must be used to describe these people. Because what they do is so profoundly dickheadish to fuck people up, to keep people in that prison of this determinism. Because they're slaves. Robert Kennedy is a slave. Tulsi Gabbard is a slave. Tucker Carlson is a slave. You know, they're all slaves. Joe Rogan is a slave. He's owned by his masters, you know, and they have to stay in this confines and they let them be radical once in a while. They give, they give them a little leash because they need it to sucker you back into them. There you go. So our movement is here. It's So I've given you sort of a deep theoretical talk, but then we are very practical. Every day we get up in the morning from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. We have a meeting. We build our infrastructure. Everything we do is in our physical data center. We are have our own version of sort of Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube, which we use for ourselves. So anyway, it's a ton of stuff we put together, but you notice it's the theory and the actual tools. So you have everything. So please take advantage of it. Thanks, everyone. Have a good night.